this morning, as I said, I want to take a bit of a departure and uh, look at a a story in the Bible, not a story that someone told, uh, but something that actually happened. And it comes from Exodus chapter 3. We're going to take a look at verses 1 through 10. Excuse me. The coffee is coming back. back. This is the story of Moses. The story of Moses and the burning bush, which a lot of us are familiar with. And and I don't want to focus so much on the burning bush today as I want to take a look at the context with which God spoke to Moses. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to uh, Exodus chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 10. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile, spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where a bunch of ites live. Now look. I can't pronounce them. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. I think it's important to understand uh, who Moses is as we take a look at this story. Like I said, some of us are really familiar with the burning bush. We've, We've seen stories. We've seen representations of that. But Moses, he was born at a time. He's a Hebrew. He was born when the Hebrews were enslaved to the Egyptians. So he was born a slave, born away from his own country, had never seen his own country. And when he was born, the Egyptian government was getting afraid of the Hebrews because they were prospering. They were growing. And they thought if we continue to allow them to prosper, they will eventually overthrow us. So they decided to kill all newborn baby boys. Because if they can kill the boys, then there's no hope of having an army. There's no hope of of anything. So this is what Moses is born into. His mother gives birth to him. And you got to understand, they had like a task force going around and finding out who gave birth to a baby boy. And they would take them from the parents and they would kill them. As Moses is born, his mother says she, she recognizes he's a special boy. Special for what? We don't know yet. And she hides him. She has this kind of ingenious plan where she has Miriam, his sister, take him down to the river and, and kind of watch him. Now, we know the kind of the representation like as if he, she floated him down the river because she knew the Pharaoh's daughter was be there. Here's, here's what I think happened. I think she put him in a little space and uh, it, it broke free. And she said, oh, what in the world happened? And he started floating down the river. That's what I think happened. And I think she started chasing him down the river. And it just so happens that he floats right to where Pharaoh's daughter is doing her laundry or bathing. And she picks this basket out of the water and there's a baby in it. And she knows he's a Hebrew baby, right? Because Hebrews don't look like Egyptians. And I think Miriam is smart enough to then jump in 
and say, well, hey, hey, we can help you because she decides to keep the baby. We can help you take care of this baby. I know a wet nurse. So Moses' mother becomes his wet nurse while he's raised in the palace of Egypt, the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. So he's a slave, he's an immigrant, and now he's growing up in the palace. When he hits about 40, we find Moses going out to see how his people, the Hebrews, are doing. And he sees an Egyptian soldier abusing or beating a Hebrew slave, and he gets angry. Moses' biggest problem in his life is anger. And he kills the dude and buries him in the sand. Buries him in the sand. And then he gets freaked out, and he runs away. He runs away to Midian. Midian is the wilderness. And then we, our story picks up with Moses, probably about 80 years old. He's a shepherd. He doesn't own a thing. He's a shepherd for hire. And he works for his father-in-law, Jethro, about 80 years old on the backside of the wilderness. And it's in this moment that he encounters God. 80 years old, doesn't own a thing, had lived in the palace now he has run for his life. He's an immigrant, not only in, his, in the country he was born in, but now he's an immigrant in another country, so he's still a stranger in a foreign land. He's got nothing. And it's in this moment that God speaks to him. It's in the, the wilderness that Moses finds himself in. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning is the wilderness seasons of our lives. What is the wilderness? The wilderness is, is difficulty, it's struggle, it's loss, it's seemingly when God is silent, when we find ourselves maybe not having anything, struggling to, to inch forward and, and achieve something in life. It's just kind of like things have come to a standstill and we're wandering around. We don't know how we're going to get out of it, but it's a wilderness season. And the reality is this, we all go through wilderness seasons. We all go through them. Now, I'm not going to be here today as someone preaching to you to tell you how to get out of the wilderness. I'm not going to even tell you how to avoid it because I'm convinced we cannot avoid it. I'm convinced the wilderness is unavoidable. And in fact, there's some things that we learn, and that's number one. The number one thing I want to share with you this morning is this. The wilderness is unavoidable. Yeah, same thing, first service. Nobody said a word. Right? Wouldn't you rather hear a message if you give me $50 and I'll give you 50 blessings and you can avoid every wilderness? You can make a lot of money doing that, but the wilderness is still coming. What I, I have come to learn and what I think this passage of Scripture demonstrates and what the entirety of the Scripture demonstrates is that the wilderness is unavoidable. God allows wilderness seasons. He permits them. And not only that, I think we learned that God is seasonal. God is, God is rhythmic. God has a rhythm to him. You know, I've been married for 11 years. And what I've discovered in 11 years of marriage is this. Not, my marriage is not a series of mountaintop moments. Is yours? No, maybe for like the first two days or, you know, two weeks or something. But after time, you realize there's a rhythm and there's a season to your relationships with people. We are created in the very image of God, the expressed image of God. He is seasonal. He is rhythmic. And he allows wilderness seasons in our lives. And we have to simply accept that, that God allows it. Does he cause it? I don't really know. But I do believe that he allows it and therefore he uses the wilderness seasons of our lives. He allows them and he uses them. And we see that more than just Moses. You look throughout scripture and you see 
the wilderness seasons people went through. Abraham, God called him out of where he lived and said, go to a place that I will show you in the wilderness. Elijah, wilderness in his life. David, God anoints him as king as a young boy, sends him back out into the wilderness to be a shepherd. Jacob in the wilderness. Hagar in the wilderness. Jesus in the wilderness. John the Baptist in the wilderness. There's, a, there's something here for us to see. These wilderness seasons. Paul, God sends him into the wilderness after his encounter with God to learn. He goes into the desert. I think the Bible is saying that the wilderness seasons of our lives are far more important than the mountaintop experiences of our lives. That it's the wilderness that we need to pay attention to. Why is it throughout all of scripture, the wilderness season is highlighted and pointed out to us? I think what we do, and I do this, we spend a lot of time trying to avoid it, right? Trying to, how do I not go in a wilderness season? How do I get out of the wilderness season? I'll be a success if I don't have to go through difficulty, loss, struggle, dry, arid times of my life. How do I avoid it? And I just want to tell you, you can't. You can't. You can't avoid it. Some of your wilderness seasons are simply because you made dumb decisions. I'll just be honest. All right? But not all of them. Not all of them. There's a season to it. There's a rhythm to it. So I want to encourage you this morning, if it's unavoidable, to stop fighting it. Stop fighting it. Stop fighting God or whatever it is in your life to get out of the wilderness season and to avoid it because you're circumventing a process that you're in. You're circumventing what God is trying to do. And do this. Stop rebuking it. What do you mean? Well, if you grew up in church, what you know, you rebuke something you don't like in Jesus' name. Right? And we say, well, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. Yeah, I agree. But if you've been rebuking and resisting something for years and it hasn't fled, I'm going to tell you, maybe that's not the devil. Maybe it's not. You've been rebuking your brains out and it's still there. You've been going to the altar, getting prayed for. People are fasting for you, praying for you, and it's still there. Maybe it's God. Could be. Maybe, maybe what, what God wants you, to say, wants you to understand and know is if you'll follow me, if you'll engage with me, I have something for you, and you are resisting the very thing that is going to benefit you and help you. Stop fighting it. Stop rebuking it. See, what, what I'm learning is I, I grew up in an environment that was very Pentecostal, and I'm thankful for my environment, but we were always chasing something, a word, a feeling, a moment. You know, uh, I was chasing if I could get the goosies and if I could just feel God's presence, if I could just cry, then I would know. Literally, I'm being serious. I would know that God still loved me. And we tried to curate environments where we had the presence of God and we had something. We didn't know what we were looking for, but oh, we knew when we felt it. And what we were short-circuiting and what we weren't understanding is, is that God doesn't always do the same thing he's always done. He's seasonal and he's rhythmic and there's a journey. There are times in your relationships, man, it's awesome. It's wonderful. There are times when it may be kind of dry, but you're learning how to move through the season and the rhythm of life. I'm thankful for how I grew up, but I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm like, God, I don't always need a word. I don't always need a feeling. I don't always need an environment or a moment because what I know is that I have your word and I have you at all times and you are with me regardless of any of that. And when it comes, icing on the cake, bro. Icing on the cake. I love to eat the icing. 
I will lick the icing off and leave the cake for someone else. But have you ever noticed that there is a disproportionate amount of cake to icing? You ever noticed that? That's why people created ice cream cake. Because it's all ice cream. It's all ice cream. But the cake is the meat of it. Stop fighting it. Stop rebuking it. So then what do I do? Number two. Number two. I have to embrace the wilderness. Embrace it. I know that's not exciting. That's not wonderful. And the moment I say embrace the wilderness, my mind went to, okay, why and how? Why and how? Why would I embrace the wilderness? Because of, because of this. Because the wilderness is holy ground. The wilderness is holy ground. It's Moses, 80 years old. Backside of the desert. It's got nothing. Shepherd for hire. Sees a, a bush burning in the wilderness. And, and I just love his, his way that he approaches it. He sees a bush burning. And I love how the humanity is preserved in the Bible. He says, I see a bush burning and it ain't burning up. And I'm in a dry environment. I know enough to know that when something's on fire in the desert, it goes like that. It's like kindling. And he says, that's amazing. I got to check it out. And so he walks over to the bush that is burning. And he has this encounter with God. And as he gets close, God says, Moses, Moses, gets his attention. Take off your sandals for you are on holy ground. What makes the wilderness holy ground? The presence of God. That's what makes the wilderness holy ground. Wherever God is, the ground becomes holy. And God speaks to Moses in this situation. Not in the palace. Not when he's 10. His mother knew it when he was a baby. He's special, but every baby's special to a mother. When he's 80. Moses Take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground in the wilderness. It is the wilderness seasons of our lives that precede the mountaintop experiences of our lives. It is the wilderness seasons of our lives where God does his most profound work. He does his most profound work in us in the obscurity of the wilderness and the backside of things where people don't see us and the darkness where they're not congratulating us and they're not, they're not telling us that, oh, you're awesome and you're wonderful. No, no, no. It's when we don't hear God, when it's difficult, when we don't know what we're going to do, when we are, we are just roaming around looking for something that God begins to work something in us because the wilderness is holy ground. Holy ground. And we have to come to the perspective and understanding that the wilderness is not punishment. It's not punishment. In fact, it is probably the most, uh, the biggest gift that God could give us is allowing us to go through wilderness seasons in our lives. He doesn't swoop in and circumvent the process. He allows it. Okay, so the wilderness is holy ground, and it's where God will do his, his best work. So um, I'm only halfway there. How would I engage in this process? The first thing is, is just change your perspective. Change your perspective. Refuse to look at the wilderness as punishment. Refuse to look at it that God caused it. Did he cause it? Maybe. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that maybe just maybe some of the reason that you're dealing with what you're dealing with is because of decisions that you have made. Like if you're struggling here financially and you just spent more money than you earned, that's not God. That's a spending problem, not an income problem. Okay? So then now you're praying for God to bless you, but you're not following any of the principles that he laid out in his word. I mean, and not even just like tithing. You're not even like, you don't even have a budget. And you want God to fix it. 
Why do you think God would give you more? You can't manage what you've got. You think God's solution to everything is if you can't manage what you have, he just gives you more? I mean, that's what I do with my kids. No. What is he going to do instead? He's going to teach us. He's going to root in us a foundation where we can handle more. But not always do we find ourselves in a wilderness situation because of our own decisions. Majority of the time, I think we find ourselves there because it's the season and rhythm of life. And because that's where God is doing some work in us. He has allowed it. He is permitting it. And we believe that he is using it. But I have to change my perspective because if I see it as punishment, I'll never receive from God. I'll never receive. I will just try to avoid it. I don't know about you. I avoid punishment. I run from that. But if I, if I can see it as God is loving and he is gracious and he's a wonderful father, I will embrace the wilderness and say, God, I know you're not punishing me, but you are teaching me something. You may be withholding for a moment. But while you're withholding that thing, that job, that whatever, you are building within me a foundation and an understanding to be able to bear up underneath that blessing of whatever it may be. The worst thing we can get is what we want, only to realize that what we wanted destroyed us because we weren't ready to handle it. Because there's not a strong foundation built underneath us. And that's when I, I changed my perspective and then, then the second thing that, that we can do in this, in this how part is, is we can trust that God is good. Trust that he will never leave nor forsake. Trust that he's not distant. Trust that he's not, you know, some far off way, a place away saying, if you would just, then I would. But say, no, I'm right here with you. I'm in the midst of the wilderness. You can't feel me. Maybe you can't see me, but I am there. I trust God that you are good. You are, you are extremely good. You are the very definition of good. Not my definition of good, but you are, in essence, good. I trust you, God, that you're here. And as you change your perspective and you trust that God is in it, or hope, whatever you want to say, then I think what we have to do is we have to look for the burning bush. We have to look for it. We have to have our eyes set on finding God in the midst of the wilderness. And finding God may be, what is it you want me to learn, God? What is it that you are working in me? What are you doing in this season of my life? And we look for the burning bush. See, the thing about Moses is he saw it, but he still had to go to it, right? God wasn't a bush that came from heaven and followed him around the wilderness. No, no, no. Moses saw it, said, that is amazing. Why isn't burning up? I got to go check it out. He had to pursue it. He had to move to it. God was there. And I believe that God was leading him to it. But he was pursuing it so much that God had to say, whoa, stop. Moses, Moses, to get his attention. Stop. Don't come any closer. And when he got there, it's in that moment that God said, Moses, take off your sandals. Mark this moment because right now is holy ground. This is, this is different, Moses. This is, this is different than any other experience in your life. This moment right here is holy. Take off your sandals and mark this moment. Moses, this moment is holy because I am here. See, geographically, there wasn't anything special about that place. The thing that was special was God was there. It would become special because it's at Mount Sinai that God speaks to Moses through the burning bush. It's at Mount Sinai that God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. But that, that Ten Commandment moment was preceded by a little burning bush in the backside of a wilderness to an 80-year-old immigrant who was born a slave. 
that's when God decided to speak to him. He saw in that moment that God was present with him. And then God sent him to be the mouthpiece, to be the spokesperson for freedom and liberty to an entire nation of people. I think if you, were to, if you were to ask Moses, Moses, what was a greater moment in your life when the Red Sea split in front of you or the bush was burning and talking? I mean, to me, I would be like, man, the sea, I just took my thing and wham, boom. But I think Moses would say it was the burning bush that was greater because without that moment, I could have never heard God and chose to trust him that he would do what he said he would do. It was when nobody saw me, when there was not a cheering section, when there wasn't a you know, curated environment, it was in that moment that you showed up to me, God, that, that that is the seminal moment for me. Why? Because I chose to embrace the wilderness, to embrace it. I feel like for some of you today, I, I, I am speaking this message, and I had this strong sense to let you know that the season that you find yourself in is holy ground to remind you of that, to encourage you in that it is holy ground and to stop fighting it and to stop rebuking it and to engage in the process because there's a heavenly father who loves you and is trying to help you and wants to build within you the foundation for the dreams and things that he has put in your heart. You say, how can you say that? Because of the third thing that we learn, we, we see this in verse seven when he says this, he says, I, 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 Moses, I have seen, I have heard, and I rescue The third thing we learn is that he sees, he hears, and he rescues. He speaks to Moses, and it's not just for Moses. It's it's for all of the nation of Israel. He said, I have seen your suffering. I have heard your cries for help. And I have come to rescue you and my people. Think about that. We, We serve a God, a God who always sees a God who always hears us and a God who always comes to rescue us. Maybe not on our timetable. Maybe not when we think that he should do it, but he sees, he hears, and he rescues. David would, would echo this in Psalms chapter 34, verses 14, excuse me, verses 15 through 18. He said this, he said, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. Listen to this. The Lord hears his people when they call him. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. We read that throughout scripture. He sees, he hears, he rescues. This wilderness season that you are in, and I want to reiterate this, it is not punishment from God. And whether you got there by a decision or whether God led you there, I want you to know that the wilderness is holy ground. I want you to be able to begin to see that the wilderness is way more important than the mountaintop. I want you to cherish the wilderness. I want you to to not have a weird like you just want to be there, but just know that God is present, that God is doing something, that I trust, that he is faithful. He will never leave me nor forsake me, right? He's not going to just dump me here and leave me here. He's actually preparing me for something greater. He's doing a profound work, a deep work in me. See, what God does is he often gives us the end, end picture 
at first. We say, God is going to, you know, I don't know, give me so much and I'm going to be a blessing to a lot of people. And you're like, all right, God, I'm ready now. And God says, well, that's like, you know, 20 years down the road. I got I to work in you. I got to develop you. And, and I know that's not exciting. I don't get excited saying it, but it's true. Look at David, anointed him king as a young man. How many years and wildernesses and caves and difficulties did David get have to go through before he was able to be king over all of Israel? The anointing often comes before God will appoint you to do it. He'll give you the anointing. He'll put the calling on your life. He'll show you what it is that he wants you to do, but then you have to realize that he's going to mold you and shape you, that you don't come out of the womb ready to go. It took Moses 80 years. And you want to know the exciting thing about Moses? He went from one wilderness to another. He went from the wilderness of Midian to the wilderness of getting to the promised land. In between, there was this profound moment with the Lord. Profound moment with the Lord. And as we, as we see all of this, the question that I will ask here at the end and as the, the band would return is this, is what should our response be? What should our response be? I think just very simply put, our response should be this, to take off our sandals and recognize where we're at as holy ground. See, taking off your sandals in this culture and in this, in this time was a, a sign of humility, a sign of respect, a sign of deference. You would take your sandals off before you went in the house. You would show humility. And act, actually, they would have to clean your feet because of how, how disgusting your feet would be. And someone would do that for you. What God is telling Moses is, I am greater than you. I have come to redeem you. I, I want you to mark this moment in your life that I'm speaking to you. We're going to do that here in the moment. We're going, to, we're going to mark this moment. But I want you to begin to think proverbially how you could do that in your own lives, how you could do that in your own situations. How could you take your sandals off and recognize the moment, the season that you find yourself in is holy ground, that God is there. I am, I, this last four years of my life has kind of been an exercise in, in understanding the, the seasonality and the rhythmic nature of God, that God has allowed me to go through things that were difficult and not fun in becoming the pastor of this church, but he's been working every step of the way. There have been countless moments, like I, I said earlier, in my car where God showed up. I didn't know he was going to show up. I needed him to show up, and he did, and he spoke something that gave me enough to to go on for the next few weeks, days, months. I don't even know. Every moment where I felt like I can't take another step, I can't do this anymore, God would show up in such a specific way, out of the blue. And it's almost like he, he gave me this sense of, 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 I want you to turn everything off. I want you just to focus on me for a moment and just overwhelming me. Let me know that he's here, that he's here. He's always provided. Maybe not when I wanted him to. Maybe not how I wanted him to. But he's always been faithful. And some of you could say, oh, well, you don't know my story and you know this. And hey, I get it. It's difficult. But I'm just letting you know that God is faithful. That's who he is. That's how he works. He, he always, always shows up in his timing, not necessarily in our timing. But that's what he always does. 